0: Please go ahead.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Crystal. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And this is um, Part 2 of Living with Lung Cancer, and it is for caregivers, Practical Tips for Coping with Your Loved One's Lung Cancer. And it's a way for us to recognize The role of caregivers, Um, we're really going to focus on caregivers, but we do know that there are people living with lung cancer themselves on the call who are maybe their own caregiver, and so they also may be listening as well or want to hear more about what it's like to be a caregiver. Um, Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations as well as many other lung cancer organizations, and um, we are grateful for their help in spreading the word about the program. And um, so, and your interest in the program as well. You're all on the call today, and we have over 411 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, and we also have international participants from Canada, India, Poland, Taiwan, Sweden, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So, really, from all over the world, it's a really bit of a global call, actually, when you think about all the different countries that are participating today. Today's program is supported by the Celgene Corporation and Ethicon, part of the Johnson & Johnson family of companies, and I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Aaron Kent. Dr. Kent is Scientific Advisor to the Outcomes Research Branch, Healthcare Delivery Research Program, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, National Cancer Institute. And Dr. Kent is going to define, a, give us a definition of a caregiver, who are caregivers, and what the research tells us about caregivers. So it's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kent.
2: Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's really an honor to be here um, on this teleconference today with Cancer Care and to be speaking with all of you on the line about this important topic of um of caregivers coping with um, someone, a loved one who has lung cancer. And I want to first start by saying that um, I am a researcher and, as Carolyn mentioned, a scientific advisor for the um, National Mm -hmm. Cancer Institute, or NCI. Most of my work is focused on cancer patient outcomes, including quality of life, the impact that cancer has had on families and cancer caregiving. But I'm not, however, a clinician, so I do not have experience providing direct medical or psychosocial care. My role today instead is to tell you about what the research tells us about being an informal or family caregiver for, with someone for someone with lung cancer. And I want to just contextualize this a bit um, and just mention. start by mentioning that a cancer patient survey um, led by Cancer Care in 2015 found that the impact that cancer has had on family was the number one concern of cancer patients, indicating how critically important it is that we pay attention not only to cancer patients but also their families in addition to the patients themselves. Okay, so what do I mean by a caregiver? Um, I'll, I'll start first by talking about the definition of a caregiver. And let me also say that um, people use different terms for this word. Some uh, people use the word carer or care partner. Um, And the term caregiver isn't always something that resonates with everybody. But what I mean by this term and what I think is meant by um, everyone on the call is um, someone who helps an individual with cancer meet their day-to-day needs or what we often refer to as activities of daily living, and also help manage their, their cancer and its treatment. So caregivers may be spouses or partners. They may be children, relatives. They also may be friends, neighbors, or coworkers. And the tasks that they help um, their their care recipient um, can be many and varied, and including things like helping prepare meals, going to the grocery store and housekeeping, also um, bathing, eating, dressing. They can, um, can include what we call medical or nursing tasks, like administering medication, um, changing bandages, helping with things like infusion ports or catheters. And caregivers can also help um, by accompanying their loved ones to medical appointments, communicating and coordinating healthcare services, and sometimes also advocating for those services. And, and who who is serving as a caregiver is, is, is my next big uh, charge, And I have to say it's very difficult to estimate the the number of people who are serving in this role at a given time, um, globally or or in the U.S. specifically, for patients with lung cancer or any kind of specific cancer. Um, What I can say is that um, there are some estimates of caregiving in general. Uh, The National Alliance for Caregiving uh, conducts a survey of caregivers nationwide about every five years, and their most recent estimate from a report published in 2015, is that about 43.5 million adults are currently serving as a caregiver for a loved one with a serious medical condition. And of those, it's estimated that about 2.8 million um, are serving as a caregiver for a loved one with with cancer. Now, note, this is likely an underestimate of the total um, cancer caregiving burden given that um, some individuals might be caregiving for someone who has cancer and another um, serious health problem. It is safe to say uh, that there are thousands, um, if not millions, of people out there who fit that role and thousands more to come. Um, Rosalind Carter, the former First Lady and caregiving champion, um, was quoted as saying there are only four kinds of people in the world, those who have been caregivers those who currently are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. So, what does the research tell us about caregivers? And this is the section I'll spend a little bit more time on, just to give you a sense of what we've what we have learned about the impact that cancer has on um, not only patients but their caregivers, and um, what we're also currently um, trying to study. So. Let me start by saying that research has shown that there can be benefit-finding or positive aspects of being a caregiver. A study led by uh, Dr. Youngmi Kim from the University of Miami um, identified the domains of benefit-finding among cancer caregivers and found that these can include but are not limited to acceptance or helping to take things as they come, empathy, um, awareness or concern for other human beings, appreciation, uh, having more awareness of the love and support from other people, family, uh, the closeness that comes from bringing bringing family together, uh, a positive self-view or helping to become a stronger person and cope more effectively, reprioritization, helping to identify true friends and a deeper sense of purpose. So all of these are positive aspects that can come out of caregiving for a loved one with lung cancer or another kind of cancer. You know, at the same time, we also know that there are many challenging aspects of being a caregiver, particularly for those who are caregiving a high number of hours per week, Um, A recent cancer-specific analysis of some of the data from the National Alliance for Caregiving 2015 study found that cancer caregivers on average spend over 32 hours a week providing care, which is more um, than those who had care recipients with other serious health problems. Cancer caregiving tends to be more episodic and intense than caregiving for um, those with other kinds of health conditions. And cancer caregivers also often help with activities of daily living, that, um, what I mentioned before of helping someone prepare meals, um, helping with bathing and dressing, than other caregivers. Despite this involvement, many cancer caregivers have not had the um, important conversations um, to help prepare them for these tasks with doctors, nurses, and other health care providers about their needs. And from that report, um, just over half um, reported that they had discussed their loved one's care needs with a provider, while less than a third discussed their own self-care needs. Um, In addition, about 40% um, of, of caregivers in that study reported performing complex medical nursing tasks without prior training or preparation. And in the same study, about half of cancer caregivers reported feeling high levels of emotional stress and about a quarter um, high levels of financial strain. I um, other studies have shown that in lung cancer, caregivers' quality of life, so how, how they, they value their own, um, own health and, and quality of life, is, is often very much related to the patient's quality of life. And one uh, study, one prospective study that followed cancer patients and their caregivers, led by researchers at the City of Hope in California, found that caregivers of lung cancer patients had elevated um, psychological distress even three months after lung cancer surgery, and it remained elevated despite patient, the patient levels of, of distress returning back to normal. Um, other studies have shown that cancer caregivers can face sleep disturbances and poor psychological outcomes like depression and anxiety. Um, Caregivers uh, often neglect self-care needs in service of caring for their loved ones, and they may not be asked enough about their own health needs. And this is a critical area for both research development and a needed cultural change in clinical practice. And so let me now say that although these findings may seem negative, I've provided these to you to help normalize any feelings that you might have as a caregiver about the stress of caregiving. It's not necessarily stressful or positive. It can be both. And sometimes at the same time and sometimes at different times it's normal to feel like it's hard and it's important to reach out for help social support is critical and support can be thought about in a a multi-dimensional or or in a varied way so uh, support can come in the form of instrumental support or things like um, someone coming along to help prepare meals providing transportation to appointments and helping with child care and emotional support, so providing a listening ear, companionship, or affection. Both, both kinds of social support are important and benefit both patients and caregivers. And, in fact, in a situation where there's a network of carers or caregivers with the patient at the center and then the primary caregiver next and then secondary caregivers to follow can be the best situation or the most advantageous. Um, I want to say just a a bit about respite care, uh, which allows caregivers a break by providing either paid caregiver services, um, either during certain hours of the day or for days at a time, can can also offer some caregivers relief. But these services are often um, um, not well-known about and underutilized. Um, Caregivers are often people who take on many tasks, but it's important to preserve energy, and this speaks to both self-care and self-advocacy. So it's not uncommon for caregivers to try to take on the role of moving through and doing what needs to be done. And these approaches have been looked at, in particular among male caregivers of women with cancer. And um, guilt is also an emotion that some caregivers face. And the problem is, is that lack of engagement and appraisal of one's own feelings, sort of checking in to to see how your, your oneself is doing, um, can lead to many caregivers experiencing. Um, lower quality of life, or um, what's sometimes termed suffering and silence. Now, for some caregivers, spirituality, faith, and religious practice can help patients and caregivers cope with cancer. For many, fostering feelings of hope and managing feelings of guilt can be very helpful. And for others, prioritizing sleep, exercise, and healthy eating can be critically important to cope with the stresses of caregiving. Meditation and other kinds of mindfulness practices can also help to acknowledge feelings as they come, and in addition, there have been many formal interventions. So those are interventions that are delivered by healthcare professionals, developed to support caregivers and patients cope with cancer together. Um, they're generally divided into three categories. So those are what we term psychoeducational, or uh, that help caregiver educate caregivers about how to help their care recipients through um, symptom management um, and then other impact of can- other impacts of cancer. Skills training um, will be the second kind, and those are those that are designed to promote better coping skills. And then finally, therapeutic counseling interventions. Now there are some that have significantly reduced caregiver burden and increased confidence to take on the role of caregiving and improved quality of life. The more successful interventions are generally longer in duration and include some symptom management components. Um, And I will say, too, that increasingly more interventions that are shown to be effective are being developed that can be delivered at a distance, either through um, some sort of technology mediation like um, a a, a smartphone app or um, some sort of telephone-based intervention or on the web, which which shows a lot of promising results for caregivers and their care recipients, not just those who are... um, located at a distance from care, but just those who are have busy lives and can't always make it into the clinic um, to receive an intervention. And I want in closing I want to stress that there is help out there, which you'll continue to hear more about on this teleconference and from many sources. Um, NCI, the National Cancer Institute, has a guide on our website called Family Caregivers in Cancer. Um, other organizations of course like Cancer Care have developed additional materials to provide resources and tips to manage the stresses of caregiving. The American Cancer Society has a page dedicated to caregivers, as well as the Cancer Support Community, the Family Caregiving Alliance, um, and other organizations as well. Um, there's also been some uh, recently enacted state-based legislation developed and sponsored by the American Associations of Retired Persons, or AARP, called the CARE Act. And so this, is, this CARE Act stands for Caregiver Advise, Record, and Enable Act. And there are three parts of this act aimed at supporting um, patients who are hospitalized and their caregivers. The record part simply requires that there be an assessment of whether there is a caregiver upon um, a patient being admitted to the hospital. And if there is, um, record that person's name and contact information into the medical record. The second part is the advise part and that states that the caregiver needs to be advised prior to the patient's discharge. And finally, the enable part um, indicates that caregivers be involved in discharge planning to both prepare um, the caregiver and the patient for transition back to home. And as of right now, there are um, 36 states and counting that have either introduced or passed legislation enacting the Care Act. So um, that's what I'll close on right now. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening. It's it's a it's a really big step to to participate in a teleconference like this and. Um all with that I'll hand it back over to Carolyn.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kent. That was really wonderfully informative and just amazing to set the stage for the entire program today. And so all of the caregivers on the call can have a better sense of all the things that they really are doing and may and have needs to have support for as well. So thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. W. Victoria Lay. Doctor Lay is a a medical oncologist, thoracic oncology service, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Dr. Lay is going to address the important role of a caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team, caring for the person with lung cancer, and follow-up care and key questions to ask. It's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lay.
3: Um, hi, this is Vicki Lai, um, um, and I, thank you so much for the kind introduction, Carolyn. Um, so I am a thoracic medical oncologist at Memorial Stone Kettering Cancer Center. Um, I see patients with all types of uh, uh, cancers of the lung and the thoracic cavity um, with a special focus on small cell lung cancer, um, which is what my clinical and research focus is based on. I think, um, as uh, Dr. Kent uh, mentioned uh, in her uh, very informative speech, a caregiver plays many important roles. And given that the average age of diagnosis for our lung cancer patients are around age 65 to 70, um, our patients um, tend to be um, uh, older in age and tend to be sicker and tend to have more needs. Um, As we transition a lot of our uh, treatments from the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting, most of our patients are receiving care at home, so that um, greatly emphasizes and underscores the important role of the caregiver as part of the healthcare treatment team. Um, first, I wanted to focus on the particular role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team. I think that for the majority of our patients, the uh, for more for the majority of our patients, most of the communication actually does come from the caregiver um, who are reaching out to us to report symptoms, um, asking questions, asking about side effects, reporting problems, and they actually play a very important role in helping to decide whether a treatment is working. Um, and specifically, an example that I'm thinking of are, is uh, in the um, area of pain management. So I would say that in, in, to start off um, when uh, for a caregiver, it's important to talk to your healthcare team about the communication style that's most effective for you and um, the uh, patient that you're taking care of. Oftentimes, it's a family member who's the caregiver, but not always. And the communication style has to work for both parties. And if there are any issues or concerns, I urge you to address them up front, um, because without open communication, there tends to be. Uh, There can be a lot of barriers to treatment down the line. Um, In terms of um, being an effective communicator, um, it's very helpful to come with a list of your concerns and questions and try to get as much of that addressed during an office visit appointment as possible. It's always best to be able to talk about these issues um, in person rather than over the phone. And then for follow-up issues, certainly phone conversation is um, adequate. You want to bring all of the medications that the patient is on, and if there's an interpreter that's needed, um, uh, do ask for that because you want to be able to um, completely understand what's being discussed during the consult. Um, And in general, I do think that it's very helpful to have an appointed family member as the primary point of contact for the healthcare team so that the message is consistent. and uh whether it's the patient themselves if they prefer or to have a, a, a appointed person by the patient and ultimately um there needs to be effective communication between the patient the caregiver and the healthcare team all the while with the um understanding of keeping the patient's wishes and values and um uh with with the understanding of um keeping the patient's wishes and values at the core of all of the communication. Um, In terms of caring for the patient with lung cancer, I think as a caregiver, it's important to have open communication with the patient. Um, Oftentimes, family members have different expectations or different goals of treatment um, that they're looking for um, compared to the patient, and it's hard to understand that if they don't communicate openly, and so, Sometimes the issues that we run into as the healthcare team is that the patient is telling us um, a separate set of concerns that the caregiver is concerned about, and the goals of treatment from um, their perspectives are different. So it's very helpful during the office visits for all three parties to have open communication and just be able to address all of these issues as much in the open as possible. Um, For the caregiver themselves, Uh, many uh, treatment centers will have support groups where you can get help from social workers, psychologists, and chaplains if you feel overwhelmed because it is a huge responsibility. And never feel afraid to ask for help if you do start to feel overwhelmed. Um, When you go to the appointments, you want to take good notes. Um, You want to ask as many of your questions as possible. And again, um, in terms of trying to Uh, provide the best care, you want to involve the patient and empower the patient as much as possible. The bottom line is to help the patient live as normal a life as possible, understand that they'll have good days and bad days throughout their treatment course, um, and stay in close contact with the treatment team in case the patient's condition changes. Um, And I I just want to really emphasize that at the core, just really open communication between everyone the healthcare team the patient as well as the caregiver is really the best way forward in terms of follow up care and key questions to ask i think um it it sometimes surprises me when i um when i talk to patients um and their caregivers sometimes even later on in the course they they have very basic questions that they did, they were embarrassed to ask or were afraid to ask at the very beginning And so, your doctor or your healthcare provider, um, and any other member of the team, may not know that unless you bring it up. So, I think to start with, um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, Really, you should take um, each office visit and um, any opportunities for phone conference calls to try to get all of your questions answered. Um, Your the goal for the patient and the caregiver when they're leaving each appointment is that you should, have a, you should feel comfortable with the treatment plan and what the next step is, and you should ask as many questions as possible um, as needed to get to that point. Key questions I would say to ask, um, particularly at the beginning of the treatment course, is you want to understand the diagnosis. It's helpful to have an understanding of what the disease is, where the disease sites are involved, um, you also want to ask questions about what treatment, available, uh, what treatment options are available. What is the standard of care treatment? Are there other options available, and what are the pros and cons of each? Um, in terms of the treatment, what are the side effects of the medications being administered? If there are additional tests to be done, what are we looking for with the test? Why are we doing the test? What will this test show, and how will it affect our next step in treatment? Um, you want to have a follow-up planned um, uh, arranged with your healthcare provider. You want to have a good understanding of when the next follow-up appointment is, or when you should expect to see the healthcare team next. Um, spend time with the healthcare team to ask about the best way to reach them, who they can expect, who you can expect to speak to when you contact. The office and familiarize yourself with different members of the treatment team. I think treatment teams now are becoming much more uh, much more complex. um, Oftentimes, with an attending physician, a nurse practitioner, a registered nurse, there could be a physician assistant, a fellow, or resident, or medical student involved as part of the treatment team. So you want to know who the members of the treatment team are. And who the best person is to reach out for the different issues um, and uh if if it if there's a desire to seek a second opinion, don't be afraid to ask for that as well um and if and bottom line, don't be afraid to ask questions and take notes and if necessary, um it's always okay to ask if you can record any conversations during the appointment. Um, it, is, it is a polite thing to ask the clinician if it's okay to record the consult so that you can refer back to it. Um, and for the caregiver, I would say if, are, if it's possible for them to be at the appointments with the patient, that's very helpful. Um, at the very least, if they're able to call into the appointments, um, that's very helpful and can really facilitate the um, visit as well. Um, I think really I just want to close for uh, for this part of the talk, that um, really want to emphasize open communication between everyone that's involved in the care of the patient. And the earlier this is addressed, um, when you first meet your healthcare team, the better it is for the care of the patient moving forward.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Why. That was really exceptional, and and I do appreciate your commenting about the fact that people with permission, can ask their physician if they can record the visit because then they can play it back when they're home. They can play it back to family members. It can be so helpful. And then, of course, the important role of the caregiver in all the communication. So thank you so much, really. And um, I know there are questions for you during the Q&A as well. Um, and our next speaker is Ms. Sharon Flynn. Ms. Flynn is a nurse educator, research and practice development, National Institutes of Health, Clinical Research Center. And Ms. Flynn is going to address helping to manage your loved one's treatment, the role of caregivers in adherence, or taking your pills on schedule, prescription refills and scheduling appointments, and coping with holidays, birthdays, and special occasions. It's really now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn.
4: Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on the call today. I'd also like to take this opportunity to welcome all of our participants on the call from all over the world. Um, I applaud you for finding out more information on being a caregiver. You heard from Dr. Kent who defined the role of a caregiver and told us what the research tells us about caregivers. And then Dr. Lai talked about the role of caregivers and provided us with some tips to improve communication with the healthcare team. And now I'm gonna talk about helping to manage your loved one's treatment, including some tips on getting those pills um, on schedule and maintaining that schedule. And so communication with the healthcare team, as we heard from both Dr. Kent and Dr. Lai, is so important. You are the voice of the patient. So um, it's important to know who those different team members are. As Dr. Lai said, our healthcare teams are becoming much more complex and so it's important to know who are all the different specialists on the team and what their role is. Um, Ask them their names. Ask them to spell their names, um, what their role is, how to contact them, not just Monday through Friday um, between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. As we know, questions come up at uh, 8 p.m. on a Friday night or on holidays. So it's important to know how to contact them um, during holidays and off hours. And then make copies of those phone numbers and all of the team members and their roles. Um, Take a picture of um, their cards, and that way you can send it to other loved ones or perhaps you have multiple caregivers taking care of your loved one with, with lung cancer. This way everybody has the important information that they need to. And like Dr. Lai said, write down your questions. Um, It is important um, to get all of your questions answered. Um, Maybe to have another um, family member or friend come and help be that second pair of ears in the room. Um, And keep asking those questions until you fully understand what they're talking about. Um, Many times when I'm talking with patients and they They um, have questions about what a bone marrow transplant is or another type of um, cancer. I draw a picture um, of how we get the cells um, to really help everybody understand um, what the process is. Um, Our medication names have become so complicated and long that I will write down the names um, of of not only the medications, but of any tests, any procedures, so that um, when my patients leave the room, they're not wondering, gosh, what what was the name of that? Um, They have it written down. So they can go back um, and look it up on the Internet um, and get some more information through the National Cancer Institute, um, through cancer care, um, or... If they walked out of the room, um, hopefully they have that number to call me back. If they got home and realized, I just don't understand um, uh, this information, can you re-explain it to me? And then important things to communicate to your healthcare team are, how is the person with lung cancer doing since their last appointment? Are they able to eat and drink Um how much are they eating or drinking? Is it one bite of food or are they able to eat um, about what they ate before they started treatment? Are they able to take their medications? Are they having trouble with some of the side effects? Don't be afraid to speak up about the side effects that are um, worrisome to you, the patient. Um, If you're having nausea or diarrhea, um, we we as the healthcare team want to know about that Um, and help you to fight some of those side effects. Um, It's also important to know what is the patient's activity level. When um, we see them come in, um, they're able to walk from the waiting room back to the back um, office, um, but is that the most uh, number of steps they've taken since their last appointment? Um, Are they really just getting up at home and going from the sofa to the bathroom um, or the bathroom to the bedroom? Or are they able to get out and walk around the block that's very important for your medical care, medical care team to know and so moving talking a little bit more about medications um, keeping on schedule with the medications is very important. And there are some barriers um, that might prevent us um, from taking our pills on time. And this is for patients, but this is also for um, caregivers too. Because sometimes as a caregiver, we focus on getting um, the person that we're caring for, getting their medications, and maybe we neglect to take our medications on time or we forget to make that follow-up appointment that we were supposed to do, or get a medication refill. And so I'm going to talk about um, adhering to medications, but it's not only for patients, but it's for all of us. And so some of the personal um, factors uh, related to medication, um, medications and taking them on time would be um, for our patients, how do they feel about their cancer? Do they believe that the medication or combinations of medications is helping them? Hopefully, the answer is yes, Um, but sometimes we know that answer is sometimes no or I'm not sure. We know it is very difficult to take multiple pills a day and even more difficult if you have questions about the goal of your treatment or how this treatment is helping you. So I encourage you to write down your questions, talk to your healthcare provider, see if maybe one medication is having too many side effects for you, if there's another medication um, that could be substituted for that doesn't have as many side effects. And perhaps this cancer isn't the only medical condition you have. Maybe you also have diabetes or high blood pressure or some other condition. Um, and is this condition requiring you to take even more medications? Um, It is extremely challenging to juggle multiple medications, and then if those medications are from two, three, four different healthcare providers, um, it's even more challenging to create one medication list. And so to help with this, I encourage you to have a list of not only all of your cancer doctors, but a list of all of your healthcare team providers. So if you have high blood pressure and are seeing a primary care physician, have their name and phone number um, along with your oncology team, um, and maybe there's a cardiologist also that um, you see, and ask them if um, all of these medications um, can be taken at the same time. Sometimes our oncology team um, doesn't know all of the medications that that you're taking. Maybe um, your heart doctor changed medications, and now um, a pill that you were maybe taking once a day, now you have to take two or three times a day. Um, And so it's important that everybody on your healthcare team know about the medications, the herbal supplements um, that you're taking and any medications over-the-counter to avoid any reactions between your cancer drugs and some of those other medications. And I think it's a great opportunity um, to coordinate not only one medication list for all of your medicines, but to coordinate your healthcare team so that your refills are on the same schedule. Um, I know with just having three children and my husband that I feel sometimes like I'm at the pharmacy every week, and I am um, getting a prescription uh, refill. And so um – While writing um, this presentation a while ago, I um, put myself on this, uh, my family on this regimen and said, okay, how can I coordinate everybody's medication cycle so that we only have to go to the pharmacy maybe twice a month versus every week? And that took um, some adjustment with um, uh, lots of healthcare team members to get prescription refills um, coordinated so that we weren't running to the pharmacy all the time and um for our patients out there um are you physically able to get out and get your medications or um are are you having a hard time um getting to your medications at home or to pick up your prescriptions um if you're upstairs and your medications are downstairs and you're feeling maybe a little bit lightheaded it's tempting to say oh i'll just skip a dose um until i go downstairs or i'll hold off an hour or two um And it's really tempting to do. And so um, I'm going to kind of have you uh, think about this image here. Think about the last time you wanted to watch a big event on TV. You had your favorite snack. Maybe um, you had your favorite um, glass of maybe hot cocoa or tea or coffee. You had your pillows fluffed. You had your favorite fuzzy blanket on. You sat down in your most comfortable recliner. You pulled up the footrest, and then, oh, you realized the remote control was on the other side of the room. Ugh, oh, the last thing you feel like doing is getting up. And what would happen if you couldn't get up and get to it? Um, What if you had to wait until someone wandered into the room um, to hand you that remote? Or maybe someone had to um, come home from work before they could hand you the remote. So I think that's a good mental image, the remote control, of having your medications close by. um, That sometimes maybe you wake up and you feel too dizzy to go downstairs and get your medication. But if you had it by your bedside or wherever you are with a glass of water, um, it would be much easier for you to take that medication. And that's great for caregivers, too, to kind of have that mental check that um, the person you're taking care of is downstairs. Let me make sure that they have everything that they need um, to take their next next dose of medication. Um, Do they need to take it with a little bit of food? Do they have water? Do they have the medication um, sitting by them? And then the next factor about medications um, and taking them on time is your emotional or mental status. Are you feeling depressed? Um, Are you in a state of shock from your cancer diagnosis? Did you get um, bad news the last time you went to the doctor? We know this can all influence your medication schedule. You might be tempted to skip a dose of your medication because you're thinking it doesn't matter. But I'm here to tell you that you are worth fighting for and that it does matter. And let me repeat that. It matters. It matters whether you're a patient, whether you're a caregiver. Taking your medications on schedule impacts how well that treatment is going to work for you. And if you don't take your medication, then it can't fight the cancer, it can't fight the diabetes, it can't fight the high blood pressure, or whatever condition you're taking that medicine for. And again, caregivers, we want you to be able to take your medication um, on time. So make sure that you have your refills um, on schedule, just like the person you're taking care of. And next, we're going to move into more treatment related um, factors for taking your medications. So how complex is your treatment uh, regimen? We talked about multiple conditions and each having pills. Um, it can be quite challenging to juggle all of those different pills. And so I encourage you to write them all down on a piece of paper and talk to your health care providers to make sure that um, that schedule is working the best that it can for you. Um, I have lots of patients um, that are a little bit younger, um, so they're in their 20s to mid-30s, and they're more night owls, a lot of them. And so if I have them on a medication schedule that has them taking a pill at 7 a.m., you know, they look at me and say, there's no way. Um, So I adjust their medications. And so maybe they're taking their first pill at 10 a.m. because they've stayed up until 2 a.m. in the morning. And so just shifting a schedule um, can help people take their medications on time. And then um, those side effects. We want to make sure that you have something um, and are keeping uh, have something to help if you have nausea from a medication or another side effect. Sometimes physicians can give you a medication in the same class of drug, but might have different side effects, and so that pill may may work better for you. So please ask them. Um, look at your pills. How big are they? Do you have a difficult time swallowing pills? And so if you saw two large pills a day, you know right off the bat that that would be very challenging for you to take. Ask your pharmacist. Ask your physician. Um, if you could crush the pills or if there was a liquid form um, or maybe if you took three smaller pills in place of that one big pill, that would be better. Ask your team um, what, um, what can be done and ask them before crushing any medication or changing a schedule. They can help advise you. And um, now let's talk about some practical tips um, for your taking your pills on schedule. We talked about having all of your medications um, on a list along with the dosages and why you're taking them, um, but also include any herbal supplements or vitamin supplements that you're taking. Um, people sometimes forget to put melatonin on um, a sleep agent. Sometimes St. John's wort um, can interfere with some um, of your chemotherapy medications. Um, and even uh, Tylenol, if you're taking multiple medications that have a small dose of Tylenol in them, can affect, um, uh, can affect other medications. Um, create a pill diary. Sometimes it's a simple notebook. Sometimes people put electronic timers on their phones Sometimes they take a picture of the pill bottle at the time that they're taking it. Um, There's all sorts of devices out there that fit onto um, medication bottles that um, have electric timers to help us. Sometimes it's a pill box. Um, Sometimes for people they have so many pills, a a pill box just isn't enough. And so they try maybe a small fishing tackle box or a a craft um, bead box that helps. And, again, um, not only um, keeping track of your medications, but write down um, if you miss a dose. Um, if you accidentally miss a dose, um, what should you do? Um, should you call your health care provider, or has your health care provider said, um, if it's within an hour, take that pill? If it's more than three hours, then um, don't take the pill. It's important to know what to do. And then um, your family and um Caregivers, along with the patient, can create a um, calendar for those medications. We have some medications that um, we only take maybe Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, um, and so it's it's difficult to keep track of that. Um, in addition to a number of pills during the day, so make sure that you have a calendar so that you can keep track of that um, and establish a routine. If it takes at least 30 days to establish a new habit, then um, anticipate it's going to take at least 30 days to get that new medication schedule regimen into your mind and, um, and so that it's part of your routine. And to plan ahead. If you're going to go on a day trip or a long vacation, make sure you have more than enough medication before you go away. Um, And enlist the support of your um, support system to help keep track of medication refills. Maybe... You have a family member that lives close by that isn't your primary caregiver that can go to the pharmacy and pick up those medication refills or be in charge of um, sending them away for a mail-in medication. And finally, um, I'm going to talk briefly about coping with holidays, birthdays, and special occasions. Um, These are important milestones to celebrate, but you may not feel like celebrating them um, like you did in previous years maybe it's a bit too overwhelming to um, have the entire family over for a celebration right now. Um, think of it as maybe just having one or two family members over for a shorter period of time. Um, maybe before you used to have, um, invite people over all day, but now maybe cut that time back to maybe an hour, and so that um, as a caregiver you have time to rest um, before having people over. And when you have visitors over, um, don't be afraid to um, give them a task to do. Um, You might not want to have them clean your entire house, but maybe they can help you put up decorations or or take down decorations um, or um, run a vacuum in a certain area of the room. Remember to take breaks during these holidays and special occasions, Um, that's what we tell our new mothers that just had a a new baby, um, that they have to take breaks, um, and they have to get out of the house, and you um, may have been in this role for a long time, or you might be in this role for a very um, short period of time so far. you are going to be in it um to um take the very best care you can of your loved one and so in order to do that you have to um sustain yourself and take care of yourself and we'll talk about that in um the upcoming presentation um caregiver caregiving is hard work and so again ask for help um i uh, recently made a, um, a, fa- a meal for a family, um, uh, a neighbor, and I didn't realize that one of the the members of the family was a vegetarian. So if you're asking people to um, help out with meal support, tell them all the details they need to know. Um, are there any food allergies? Are there foods that you really like or foods that you don't like? Um, and same thing with the patient that you're taking care of. Do they really love ice cream and that tastes good now? Um, that Those are things to, to ask um, other people to help and do. And so. Um, with that, I just want you to um, uh, impress upon taking breaks during your day that there is a lot of physical and emotional pressure as a caregiver, and that you are important, just as the life of the patients of the patient that you're taking care of. And so, be kind to yourself and to the person that you're taking care of. And I'll end that um, end that right here. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Lynn. That was really wonderful. And um, I wondered if you could just um, now continue with just a coping with the stress, caregiving, and self-care tips. I think you've actually addressed it already, but if you want to add anything more to it, feel free to.
4: Sure. I'll just add a little bit more. Um... Just as on an airplane, um, when the oxygen mask descends, if there's an emergency on the plane, they tell us to put the oxygen mask on yourself before helping anyone else. And I think of caregiving like that, um, that you have to help yourself before you can reach out and help that patient. And so I just have um, a couple of tips to um to help you and these come from uh, the Family Caregiver Alliance, uh, the National Center on Caregiving. And um, some of the tips that um, they recommend along with cancer care are to reduce your personal stress. Um, How we perceive and respond to an event um is a significant factor in how we adjust and cope with it. And so the stress that you feel is not only the result of your caregiving situation, but also your perception of it. Um, do you see the glass as half full or half empty? And remember, you're not alone with your experiences. And so some things that influence how we perceive stress is your relationship with the person that you're taking care of. Um Sometimes we care for people that we have a deep relationship with, and sometimes um, we're asked to help with family members that we haven't maybe um, spent a lot of time with, Um, and so you may regret that you haven't spent time with them in the past. Um, And that goes into um, uh, giving yourself a break, um, knowing your coping abilities. What strengths do you have? Um, We all have different strengths that we've built upon over the years. Um, Rely on those. Um, And um, other things um, is to identify that source of stress. Sometimes we think that um, we're handling the stress, but sometimes the stress is handling us. And so sometimes take a step back and remember what we can change and what we can't change. Next, setting some goals for caregiving. Um, I Just like with new mothers, I say you, we have to take breaks, um, and that's a time to invite people in um, to help us. And taking a break um, doesn't have to be eight hours, although it certainly can be and would be beneficial. Um, but take a break um, multiple times during the day, um, maybe a five-minute walk around the house or outside, um, getting together with a friend um, and going for a walk is great. Um, and next, um, to be able to communicate um, to the, um, the healthcare team and to for asking others um, for help. Use those I messages versus you messages. So I feel angry if you're having a, a, a difficult conversation versus you make angry. Um, enables you to express your feelings without blaming um, or causing someone to feel defensive. Um, respect the rights and feelings of others. Be specific and clear when you're asking someone um, for help. Um, Sometimes we don't pick up on those hints of someone. Um, Just like the neighbor that I made the meal for, um, they hinted around that they wanted a meal, and then I wound up making a meal that had meat in it for um, the vegetarian member, food member. Um, And so be clear and specific when you ask um, for help. Um, And it's difficult to ask for help. Sometimes we feel like we don't want to burden others, um, but Um, they're here to help Um, when people are asking you what can I do Um, they're really asking for specific tips and so think about what do they do really well Um, do you have someone that is an artist or someone who likes shopping Um, think of creative ways that they can help you maybe it's decorating your house for the holidays um, or a shopper can help you with holiday shopping Um, next We've um, heard it um, on the news that we need to exercise. It's one of the healthiest things that we can do. Now, I'm not saying go out and run a 5K marathon, um, but start with 5, 10 minutes walking around um, your house, going up and down the stairs multiple times, and increase that day by day. Um, It's a great stress reducer, and it can help us sleep at night. And... um, Speaking of sleep, um, monitor your sleep so that you're getting enough sleep at night and um, are eating your fruits and vegetables um, and maintaining um, a, good, um, a good sense of yourself. Um, think about um, do you have any family members or friends that um, are particularly good at meditation, um, maybe prayer or yoga, that they could teach you um, some things about those stress reduction techniques. And um, finally, I just want to wrap up that um, to give you permission to take time off without feeling guilty. We all need to rejuvenate um, ourselves in order to take the best care of not only ourselves, but the people that we're taking care of. And so I just want to say, um, please take that time off and don't feel guilty about it. Um, You are worth it. And um, I think I will end there and say thank you for listening, and I wish you all the best with your caregiving.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Flynn. That was wonderful and very comprehensive. And now we have time for questions. We're going to go right to the questions, and I'm going to ask uh, Crystal to explain to you how to cure for questions. Um, I know there are many of you who have questions, so let's let the questions begin. Crystal?
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then 1, on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And again, ladies and gentlemen, that's star one to ask a question.
1: We have a question from our online participants, and this one is for Dr. Lai. What kind of foods are good for soothing my father's coughing? He suffered so much, and I would like to help. Um, I'm trying cooking soups. Um and want to think of something more solid um he has been losing weight, so could you comment on weight loss and eating and um,
3: um sure um so in general um in terms of nutrition um it is challenging because uh Taste buds can change during treatment and overall appetites for patients go down um, when they're on treatment. Um, In terms of um, if it's the cough really that's affecting his appetite and his ability to eat, um, it's helpful to um, uh, give him medications that can help symptomatically control the cough. Oftentimes, the cough is related to his underlying disease, the, um, the cancer itself. And ideally, that should get better as he's um, pro- uh, progressing with treatment. Um, but things that we found very helpful, anything that contains um, low amount, low doses of codeine can really help with the cough and if that's really the thing that's keeping him from being able to take down food. If it's a general decrease in appetite and weight loss, um, we typically will um, enlist the help of our nutritionist who can recommend certain supplements um and uh, calorie boosters that can help patients um, at least maintain the weight. I think it's very difficult to often um, gain back the weight that they lost due to disease, but our goal is always to maintain the patient's weight so that they don't lose any further weight. Um, And really, we tell patients there's no restrictions. Um, Eat whatever tastes good to you. The main thing at this point is to try to keep the calorie counts up so that you're maintaining your weight.
1: Thank you. And um, another question for you, Dr. Lai. Um, my father has non-small cell lung cancer. Do my siblings and I have a higher risk of lung cancer? Um, my father has been on a case telling us to change our diet, exercise, et cetera. So um, if you could comment on this in a general way, of course. just um, to...
3: Sure. Um, lung cancer, except for a very um, small subset of mesotheliomas, which are cancers of the lung, Lining related to our particular mutation, lung cancers in general, unlike other cancers such as breast and colon, are not typically associated with family history or anything that can be inherited from your parents. A lot of times it's um, the, the some lung cancers are due to environmental exposures such as cigarette smoking or other um, hazardous um, exposures um, there and then the other um Major group of lung cancers are due to mutations that just happen out of chance that somehow turn normal cells into cancerous cells. so there's nothing um, there's nothing uh, special that family members of uh, lung cancer patients need to do. The only things to really be aware of um, is uh, for patients who um, have a history of smoking or who are current smokers and meet. Uh, lung cancer screening guidelines we do adhere to the low dose ch- um uh chest uh cat scan screening guidelines that are supported by um uh the n i h and the um c d c thank you um
1: and um we have a lot of questions from one of our online participants um it has to do with long-distance caregiving, um, and I wonder if, uh, Dr. Kent, if you could address this. Um, so um, between my sister and me, we are having trouble taking care of my mother, um, who lives far away, and we take time off. We, we can't take enough time off at work. We're almost done with our vacation days. What options do we have for someone to be there for her? I don't want to be, to, prefer to be alone for her treatments. So could you comment on that? Because long-distance caregivers are very important, but they actually often can't be physically there all the time. Um, So that's really not a fair expectation. Um, Mm -hmm. Dr. Kent, do you have any research on that or what people have found? Sure. I I can
2: say that um, you're definitely not alone. Um, The number of of individuals who are serving as a long-distance caregiver is definitely on the rise. Um, Again, it's hard to... um, it's hard to give exact precise estimates of that but the the number the, the number of caregivers who are caregiving at a distance is on the rise. Um fortunately there are increasingly a number of um I think services to be aware of. There are um, there are there are increasingly propping up um some private and commercial um options for um Formal caregiving services that will actually provide sort of a paid caregiver to come and, and be a, a, a companion, and as also and also provide um, health aid to um, you know to your mother if if that's what's best for your family situation. There are also just a number of um, free uh, services that you can use to help coordinate care and support. Um, everything from more caregiving. Oriented programs, software programs like Caring Bridge is one, but there are others. To um, just using a, a something like a Sign Up Genius or some sort of a, a, a software program that's available online and free to help coordinate, like a meal delivery service or time spent um, with with. Your mother um in say coming over to help to to provide some companionship or help with housekeeping or or help in other ways um it it te- it takes coordinating first of course with your um family members and of course with your mother to find out what her values and preferences are um and that can take some time to to help figure out but um I would say, as, as was echoed in this presenta- the presentation today, communication is everything. So, really spending time to figure out what are the the needs and priorities of, of your mother, which should come first.
1: Excellent. And, Miss Lind, do you want to add anything as well?
4: And I, I'm not sure if. Um, the um the patient the your mother is um, involved in a church or maybe some other um, community based program where they might offer um, uh, you know kind of a buddy to go with her for her treatments um, or maybe she's able to get um, a bus service um, with with a friend to help her um we 've seen great success um here just locally with um people tapping into faith based communities or um other communities that uh that for people that are living in smaller towns um that have a lot of connections excellent.
1: And actually, that's a wonderful question for us to really conclude on because there's so much more to say about it. I just want to add a few things myself. Um, actually, a number of organizations um, provide services to people throughout the country um, in terms of, um, you know, of helping with this type of issue um, and, indeed, um, um i actually i 'm going to thank our speakers first of all because they 've been terrific Our speakers are wonderful and i 'm going to just wrap up by saying a few words about cancer care but I, but also address this question as well but i want to first of all thank our speakers they've been phenomenal and I want to thank all of you on the call as well um and Now I do want to say a few things about um about some additional services so cancer care is a national organization, and we do offer um, support and counseling with oncology social workers. And most, of, um, our, most people contact us by phone by calling 1-800-813-4673 or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. And indeed, in terms of this question, first of all, there are legal protections for family members to take time off from work called the Family Medical Leave Act. Um, and to some extent, that would be something that you could discuss with our oncology social workers here at Cancer Care. Um, also um there are as many of our speakers have already addressed Um, There are all sorts of resources out there. We have something called My Cancer Circle. It's, again, it's a a system where people can log log in and identify different services they can provide locally for someone. Someone could perhaps bring a meal. Someone can do this. Someone can accompany someone for their treatment. So that's a wonderful resource as well. We also do offer practical and financial assistance in the United States for people who need need help with just getting back and forth to treatment, someone to go with them. Um, and a family isn't always able to do that just because of the logistics of life. It's not always possible. Um, so we do offer that financial assistance. we also offer counseling, and we offer counseling services to family members both on the telephone, online. We have 138 online support groups, and a lot of them are for people who are caregivers and also caregivers for people who have lung cancer, so, and also for young adults who are caregivers as well or older adults who are caregivers. So that would also fit here in terms of all of those options could be very helpful um, in this situation as well. I actually will contact our, our, the person asking this question after the call, but I hope this has given some guidance to everybody on the call. If you find yourself in a similar situation to know that you can access these resources um, from organizations like Cancer Care and all the different collaborative organizations that we've mentioned, but certainly to contact our oncology social work staff here and speak to them and really work out a plan um, so that you feel that you're doing everything you can. There are many, many long-distance caregivers. We work with many of them. In our in the, our modern world today, people often do not live in the same town as um, you know as a as a as a, a family member and even if you live in the same town, it could take time to get from one end to the other because depending on the area even if you live in a similar area, it still takes a great deal of time to travel from one end of that town to the other and that's come up in our other calls too, so that basically to be aware of that um, and, and so living far away or living in the same community, but still it could take an hour or two sometimes to get to wherever you're going um, to take care of um, your loved ones. So that's important to be aware of as well. Um, so most importantly, we don't want anyone to leave the call today feeling you're alone. We want you to know that you're part of a community of support, and that support, of course, comes from, from – I guess we're doing this call from Cancer Care, so definitely call us – Absolutely, and for our international participants, um, all of our services are available to you internationally, and you can just visit our website at www.cancercare.org, um, and our staff will actually um, be able to address your questions as well um, when you when you contact us in that way. Um, um, and um, also, if you visit our website, you can also be able to log into the different questions or online support groups or all the different kinds of support groups we have. We do have telephone support groups as well, some of you may prefer that, or individual counseling. We also have a Cancer Care for Kids program, and we now recently just instituted a. Um, a meditation app, which many of you are finding very helpful and using, actually. Um, and so I do want to encourage all of you to take advantage of that meditation app. Um, it's available on our website. You can take a look at it. Certainly um, the holidays are coming up. They're stressful. And indeed, um, it's awfully nice to have some relaxation exercise that you can do for free that you can learn about for free um, from that app. So that's another option for all of you. So, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.